Let's open them up to Matthew chapter 20. I'll be reading verses 17 through 19. I will be reading from the King James Version. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. A few weeks ago, we learned some very interesting facts about Paul's journey on the road to a changed life. And then later we talked about the road to service on which the Good Samaritan walked. This morning, I want us to talk about the road to sacrifice. That was the road on which not only did Jesus walk, but the road on which He lived His life. He lived a life of sacrifice. He walked on that road so that we could be saved, but not only so that we could be saved, but so that we could watch and see how He lived and the things that He did and that we might emulate those things so that we too could walk the road to sacrifice. In January 1996, a woman sent in an article, a story to the Reader's Digest. She recounted the events of the winter before and the conditions and the things that was brought about. She said just getting out of the driveway was quite a chore during last year's snow and ice. It was a major feat to be able to to leave the driveway. She said she was listening to a co-worker of hers and he was trying to come to work and so he went outside and with the use of his son's baseball bat, he broke up the, the slick ice that was on the driveway. After having done that, he became cold and he went in for a cup of coffee and in a few moments his son came in because he had been outside with him and he said, Dad, I, I got the ice off of the car and the man said, well, Well, how did you do that? He said, with the baseball bat, just like you did. See, unbeknownst to the father, he was demonstrating something to the son, though he didn't exactly demonstrate it in the correct manner. But I can remember myself growing up in a a rural area where my father put out a garden every year, and, and I can recall after having the field being plowed, he would go out with the tiller and he would till up that ground. And, and I can recall walking behind him as he did that, stepping in exactly to the best of my ability the same footsteps in which he walked. Of course, I had to stretch way out and hit those footsteps, but that's what I tried to do. I tried to walk in exactly the same footsteps as my father had walked. But you know, that's not so different then what we're supposed to do in today's world, is it? We're supposed to step in the footsteps of Jesus. We're supposed to walk in the way in which He would walk. Now those are nice childhood memories about things you did growing up, but now that we are grown and we come into the world, we need to be able to step into the footsteps of Jesus. After instituting the supper, Christ rose up from the table, he took a towel and he girded himself and after having had a conversation with the Apostle Peter, he said these words, he said, Know ye not 
or know you what I've done for you? He asked a question. He said, you call me master and, and you say, well, for so I am. He said, if I then, your master, Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Now, I don't believe that it was a coincidence that so many years later, Peter told those who had been scattered abroad, 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 21, he said, For even hereunto were ye called. He said, Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that wasn't about washing feet, was it? It wasn't about demonstrating hospitality to those men sitting around that table. It was about living a life of sacrifice. It was about doing for others, even when it's inconvenient, even when sometimes it is a little embarrassing. Now, if we're going to walk the road to sacrifice, if we're going to step our feet in exactly the same steps on which Christ walked this road, we better have a plan We better prepare ourselves, hadn't we? We better have a plan. That's our first point. We must plan to begin with to be determined. We have to set a goal before ourselves and we have to say, I'm going to reach that goal and be determined to do that. Before God, the Word became Jesus, the Savior of the world, He had a plan along with the other two members of the Godhood. He had an eternal plan. Notice what Paul said, Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 9. He said, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, so that people would be able to understand this fellowship of the mystery, he said, Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, so that the world could better understand and know the manifold wisdom of God, the ultimate wisdom of God that was purposed in Christ Jesus they had an eternal plan, a purpose. We ought to have a plan. That ought to tell us something about our plans, shouldn't it? We ought to make plans. If if we're going to emulate Christ in our lives, we have to be dedicated to the plan of doing that. We can't be half-hearted in our efforts. Ought we to be concerned about the future? Absolutely we ought to be concerned about the future because... One man observed, you will spend the rest of your life in it. Right? The future happens every single day that God blesses us with life in this world. In our passage, 
read for us, we see the concern that Jesus had about the future. Not because he was afraid. He didn't look forward to that, but he wasn't afraid in the sense that he was a coward. But he was concerned. It was important. But he had complete trust in the Father. And we ought to do that. We ought to submit to the Father, to His plan. Now that's exactly what we have to do. If we're going to live a life of sacrifice, if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we have to submit to His plan. You know, it's usually difficult, isn't it? It's a constant battle with Satan. And if we don't submit to God and do the things He's asked us to do, we'll never be successful. Paul told the brethren in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, how to prepare for that. We remember the, the things that he said about arming yourself in the armor of God, having those things necessary if we're going to be successful against Satan, having those, those things such as our loins girt with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. He talked about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith above all, he said, wherewith we shall quench the fiery darts of Satan. He said, don't forget the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. See, he told us how we could be successful, but that's all part of the plan. Only those who are determined to be successful will put on the whole armor of God. And they'll plan to do that. And we can defeat Satan when we go into battle if we're prepared, if we have a plan. But as the Lord walked with His disciples and He talked about His determination, the plan that He had, He also described to them the things that would befall Him. He said He was going to be mistreated by the Gentiles. He was going to be abused and murdered by the leaders of the Jewish religion and He was determined to do it so that we might be saved. We better think about that, hadn't we? But the description of our plan isn't all that different, really. We have to be willing to suffer at the hands of people if it comes to that. Fortunately, in our nation, we're not faced with that at the present, but we better be ready in case it comes. You remember what Jesus told those churches in Asia? The seven churches in Asia wherein he had written, or where John had written the letter after having been given the revelation, Jesus said, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. He didn't say, If you suffer. But he said, Fear none of those things that you will suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But this is the key point. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of righteousness. See, if we're not determined to work the plan, then we're not going to have a crown of righteousness. But how are we able to do that? How are we able to be faithful unto death in the face of persecution and death and mistreatment? Because of what Christ did for us. Because of what He did, we can lay claim to that crown of righteousness that He has promised all those who are faithful. Those who have been obedient to the scheme of redemption, the gospel plan of salvation. You know, this description that Jesus gave was one of complete barbarity. It was something that we're not used to hearing. And 
when I read this, and I know you do as well, when, when we read this we think, why would he even bother to give such a sacrifice, such a gift to the world to a hateful group of people who cared nothing for him? We hear the terms used, scourging and crucifixion, and we don't really understand those terms because it's not our normal uh, use in our vernacular. We just read over it and sometimes we just move on. Well, a scourging was very deadly. It was very harmful to the body. Most people would, would not even live past the scourging. They would take those leather strips and they would put bone or rock or, or other hard metals on them and they would whip the individual, sometimes the skin falling down in ribbons, even to the exposing of the internal organs. They would come around and would break the bones and knock the teeth out and sometimes knock an eye out. Now we're not familiar with that kind of barbaric punishment, so we don't think that much about it, but that's what the Lord endured for us as He was determined to stick to the plan that was the eternal purpose of God. Of course, following that scourging, He walked all the way down the road of sacrifice to Calvary, carrying with Him the very instrument that would be used to murder Him and take His life. Carrying that cross beam, He was thrown down onto the ground, and with nails going into His hands, He was hoisted up onto that beam that was already in the ground, and then His feet were nailed to it. Now this death uh, by crucifixion really was a death by suffocation. There would come a point while they were on this cross that no longer could they lift themselves up so they could be able to expand their lungs and take in air and then they would just simply suffocate to death. Now this is obviously a central theme to what God did for us, to the scheme of redemption. All the Old Testament symbols and and types demonstrated the Messiah and His great love for us, that He would have to die for the sins of a, of a disrespectful people because we couldn't pay that price ourselves and God didn't want us to have to. He would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, the psalmist wrote. He also said He would be deserted by His friends. He went on to talk about being pierced on the cross how lots would be cast for his garments. They were gambling over his clothing, all that he had left physically in this world. And then, of course, we get to Isaiah and we read chapter 53 and it talks about the terrible things that would befall our Savior, beaten to the point where he was even unrecognizable. You wouldn't know who he was. That was all part of the plan. And when we look at God's plan... It kind of makes the one we have to follow a little less difficult, doesn't it? We have to imitate what He did. It isn't enough to say, I'm going to obey. We have to obey. It isn't enough to say, I want to obey. I'm sorry for what the Lord endured. We have to embrace that and, and apply it to our lives and live like He wants us to live. I met a young man when I was in Memphis from uh, Zimbabwe. He'd come over here on an athletic scholarship. He was the fastest runner in his country. And he married a fellow classmate, and they had a little girl. And one day he was walking up the road by the church building, and he came and knocked on the door. And so we struck up a friendship, and I got to know him. And he was from Zimbabwe, and he moved to Memphis, and his name was Elvis. I loved that. 
Well, at some point, Elvis fell away. He began to work more hours, and he fell away, and I would call him, or I'd go by and see him, and he said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, and as far as I know, he never has. It isn't enough to say, I want to obey, or I'm going to obey. That doesn't work. We have to obey. We have to stick to the plan. But if we have a plan, we better be like Jesus in that plan. We better persist in it. That's our second point. Christ stayed on the cross. He gave His life so we could live. During His rest, do you recall when Peter unsheathed his sword and he tried to kill Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Evidently, Malchus ducked the sword and he, he cut off his ear. And Jesus made a statement to him found in Matthew 26, beginning with verse 53. He said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be so? Look, Jesus didn't need Peter's help. He didn't need Peter to defend him from the mob. He could well take care of himself. And he persisted in his plan. He could have stopped the plan. He could have struck all those people dead. He brought those back from the dead. Do you think he couldn't send some into eternity? Sure he could. But he persisted. He weren't... It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was His great love for us. His determination to persist in the plan. And somehow, in some way, the world has overlooked that great gift. How does that happen? But what should our reaction to that gift be? Complete and utter obedience and submission to the Father just like Christ was. He gave Himself for everyone. And because He stayed on the cross, we must be steadfast in our faithfulness. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus makes a statement that's very telling. And ye shall be hated of all men for My name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. What a statement. Now I want us to compare that statement to a statement he made found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's what the world has said. As long as you believe... You'll never perish. You'll have everlasting life. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, He that believeth should not perish. Didn't say you couldn't perish. So how do we keep from perishing? Endure to the end and you shall be saved. So we have to determine how do we endure to the end. Well, we have to obey the gospel plan of salvation first. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. We have to have belief. Without it, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. We must repent of all past sins. Those on the day of Pentecost asked Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do? About what? About all those nasty things that you said we did. 
which we did do. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God unto salvation, Romans 10.10, not into salvation, unto it. Well, then there's got to be a step into it. The very one the Ethiopian eunuch took. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. He came up out of the water just like Paul said in Romans 6, 3 and 4, walking a new life, being a new creature. And the last thing we read about the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing, having the burden of sin lifted from his shoulders. We have to be steadfast in that. And then we have to endure to the end. We have to live a life of faithfulness, just like Paul did. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He told Timothy, he said, Now I am ready to be offered. My time of departure is at hand. But I'm ready, Timothy. He said, I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He fought, he finished, and he kept. That sounds like he had to do a few things to me other than just believe. Henceforth, or because of all of that, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love His appearing. How am I able to do what Paul did? How am I able to walk the road of sacrifice like Jesus did? He walked the road to sacrifice. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, just believe who I am and you'll get to heaven. That's not what the Lord said. He said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now what did he mean about uh, mean by those words? Well, how do we take up our cross and follow Christ? Do you remember what, a, what was a cross used for? We just talked about it. It was a an instrument of death. In our nation, we used to use the hangman's noose. We used to use the firing squad. We used to use the electric chair. In Europe, they used the guillotine. Now we use lethal injection. Well, when Christ lived, they used the Roman cross. They nailed you to it and they let you die. So we take up that killing instrument. I take up my cross. Well, I didn't know I had a cross. If you're a Christian, you've got a cross. Because you have to die to the world. You have to die to sin. And we carry that cross with us. And when that old person that I used to be, the one I despise so much, when he tries to come back up, and he tries to make me be who I used to be, I take that cross and I put him to death. And I carry it with me every single day. Because life is difficult. And there are 10 million reasons why I shouldn't be faithful. But I only need one reason to be faithful. Because Christ walked the road to sacrifice. He gave Himself for me. I use that cross. People misunderstand, I believe, the use of the cross. I feel like people 
Believe bearing the cross means we bring it right in here into the building with us on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night and we set it right in the pew next to us and I'm bearing my cross. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. When we come and we gather together as saints and we're encouraging each other and we're exhorting each other, we better be parking our cross at the door so we could come in. There shouldn't be any reason to use that cross in here amongst the brethren. And then when we leave, we grab that cross and we go right back out into the world. We come in here and we encourage each other and we strengthen one another. And don't forget your cross at the door when you leave. Because we'll need that tomorrow and maybe this evening. Persistence is necessary in every aspect of life. We better pray persistently. We better sacrifice consistently and persistently. We need to do all of those things. We have to be steadfast. You know what happens when we fail to be steadfast in this life for Christ? The prophet, the prophet said we would fall away. He said, but, but when that happened, that we ought to repent. Why? Because we put Christ to an open shame. We crucify Him afresh, Hebrews 6.6. 6. None of us want to cause the Lord to go through that shame again. We better be... Persistent. We better have a plan. Have to be persistent in it. Because God will expect us to pay for the life we have lived. That's our third point. Jesus paid for the sins of the world through crucifixion. He was crucified, wasn't He? All sin requires just recompense. All sin requires punishment because God is a just God. He can't go against His eternal nature. He can't sin. We can't tempt Him to sin. He can't tempt someone else to sin. And all sin must receive a punishment. Paul warned, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 The first sin required the death of an innocent, didn't it? We were called in the garden when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned against God. They would made themselves some underwear out of fig leaves and God made coats for them out of animal skins. An innocent had to give his life. And it's kept on. On down through history, all the way up to the point Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate innocent person who could have sinned, who could have chosen to sin, but he came into the world and he did no sin. Peter said, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Paul said this, Galatians 4, beginning with 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Well, in order to avoid paying for something that we don't want to pay for, paying the ultimate price like Jesus did. Christ gave Himself. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of that gift? Because if I don't, I have to give myself for what I've done. But before we can do that, we need to sit down and count the cost in more than one way. We need to count the cost of a life of sin and we need to count the cost of what it means to be a Christian. In His parables on counting the cost, Jesus explained that to us. Luke 14, 28 through 33, he said, Who's going to build a tower unless they sit down beforehand and they determine the cost? Because they'll get 
halfway through it and then everybody's going to come by and they're going to laugh at him? Well, you didn't count the cost. Or what about the king who's going to go to war and he doesn't first sit down and consult his generals and determine, how many people do I need to go into battle and be successful? Because if he doesn't do that, he's going to have to send a messenger out with the white flag, right? And surrender, try to make terms of peace. He said, you have to count the cost. Verse 33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus requires a great price to be paid because He paid a great price. He wants us to understand that. As He walked the roads in this life, He walked the road to sacrifice, the road to service. He taught us how to have a changed life. Now we're either going to walk the road to sacrifice or we're going to walk the road to sin. Jesus has begged us to enter, right? There's no middle ground. There's no third option. Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are a lot of people going to go in that gate. But then he said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, restricted is the way. Very few find that way, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. See, we need to understand why the Christian lies is a life of sacrifice. Because the, the gate is straight. It's a narrow gate. And the, and the way is restricted. That's what straight means. Narrow. It's restricted. Not everybody can go in that way. You have to choose to go in that way. You have to say, I want to enter in at this door. If you don't care or someone doesn't care and, and, and they don't make any... Uh, plans it all, they'll just automatically go through the broad way. We have to sacrifice worldly things to gain the heavenly abode. That's what Moses did. The writer of Hebrews said he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Because he wanted to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth, Matthew 6.20. And that's a choice we must all make. Am I going to walk the road to sacrifice? If we're going to choose Christ, we have to sacrifice what we love for what we love more. That's what He did. That's what we're supposed to do. But counting the cost alone isn't enough. Again, it isn't enough to say, I want to obey or I'm going to obey. We must plan. We must persist. We must pay the price of faithfulness. If we don't do that, then we tread upon the precious blood that Jesus shed for us in His wonderful gift as He walked the road to sacrifice. The hardest road ever walked. The road to Calvary. And He did it. And He did it for us. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. If you've become unfaithful, walk the road back to Jesus as we stand and as we sing.